Hi, I'm Max Kaiser. This is the Kaiser Report. You know, in every human DNA is a need to trade, travel, trade, communicate. And over the millennia, we've all figured out that being transparent, being open, and having an obvious store of value to trade with is what has kept the species going on this arc toward modernity and progress. Oh, what does it all mean, Stacy? Of course, open trade and free trade throughout the millennia has relied on honest money. Now that we no longer have honest money, you prefer a transparent, readable, knowable sort of entity on the other side of the uh, otherwise dodgy trade deals and fiat currencies. And I turn to this headline here, China's top trade negotiator, we want Trump to get reelected. Amid the endless levitation of stocks with incessant, a trade deal is close headlines. China's Long Yang Tu, former vice minister of foreign trade and point man during China's 15-year talks to join the WTO, told an audience during Credit Suisse's China Investment Conference in Shenzhen that, quote, we want Trump to be reelected. We would be glad to see that happen. Specifically, Long explains that the U.S. president's daily Twitter posts broadcast his every impulse, delight and peeve to 67 million followers around the world, making him easy to read and the best choice in an opponent for negotiations. China doesn't want to deglobalize. America doesn't really want to deglobalize. Russia doesn't want to deglobalize. They don't want neo-mercantilism. They want to trade. China wants to trade. Russia wants to trade. Trump wants to trade. The enemies of trade are conflict and war, because they love war. And it seems like the Trump opposition parties in America are the war party, as Tulsi Gabbard has described them. And this is just not the way it works within the human spirit and the human DNA. We want to trade, and we want to be transparent. That's our nature. Our nature also does get restricted by math. And usually a declining empire does not like globalization so much because they no longer win. America is no longer winning. Back in the late, eight, late 1800s and early 1900s, uh, of course, the United Kingdom was a great empire and it started to lose uh, the trade you know, global trade didn't favor them as much as it was favoring others. So uh, I think China definitely wants globalization because they're the rising power. They like Trump's bluntness. Whether or not you yourself or anybody in the audience or any voter likes Trump or not, what I'm saying is that he keeps tweeting. He's signaling not only to his potential voters, but also to the Chinese negotiators that uh, he's easy to read at the poker table that is global trade because deal negotiation. He's honest. And they're used to dealing with dishonest politicians yeah. everywhere around the world. And uh, the UK, of course, they decided to get out of the globalization a while ago, but they, that's their loss. I think the bigger economies are moving toward globalization, and China, America, Russia are heading in that direction. So let's talk about uh, another dishonesty, and that is, you know, when you have hard currency, you have hard money, it is honest money, they always call it. Well. Gold, of course, has been um, honest money and the foundation of our global fiat system as well and our global trade system and the world economy as we know it. It is, however, very uh, heavy. It's difficult to move. Unless you own and hold that gold on your own, it's not yours. 
And I want to flash back to this headline from January because it has relevance to a headline this past week. Maduro stymied and bid to pull $1.2 billion of gold from UK. Nicolas Maduro's embattled Venezuelan regime, desperate to hold on to the dwindling cash pile it has abroad, was stymied in its bid to pull $1.2 billion worth of gold out of the Bank of England. The Bank of England's decision to deny Maduro's officials withdrawal request comes after top U.S. officials, including Secretary of State Michael Pompeo and National Security Advisor John Bolton, who's now gone, lobbied their U.K. counterparts to help cut off the regime from its overseas assets. Right, Venezuela wants to trade, and they use gold as the obvious, invisible, historic means to trade. Uh, the U.K. doesn't want to trade. The U.K. is uh, where a lot of the war industry is headquartered, and a lot of the banks that fund the war industry are headquartered, so they're anti-trade, anti-free markets in a lot of ways. Venezuela just wants to trade. They just want their gold. And to deprive them of their gold using censorship or financial censorship or embargoes and sanction is anti-globalization and anti-the spirit of humanity. Regardless of what you think of Maduro or his regime or his uh, government or anything like that, what we're talking about here is not, if you don't hold the private keys, that is not your asset. If you don't hold your gold, that is not your asset. So it is part of a deglobalization where everything, there is some sort of diminishing pie going on. There is an, uh, um, a sort of resentment and a fear and per perhaps an anger about China being larger economy than the US, China seemingly winning, China's got 5G, we don't have 5G, they're moving to 6G. They have all sorts of technologies that we don't have. There is a sort of anger going on and a um, dishonesty in the game. You're seizing somebody else's assets. But now I wanna to turn to a headline this week and that's why the Maduro story is relevant. It's relevant to an ongoing gold versus Bitcoin debate that we've been following. Peter Schiff, of course, says Bitcoin is um, fake money, it's a Ponzi scheme, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he says gold is the only way to go, it's the only way to store your wealth. Well, of course, the nation state of Venezuela had their gold seized. That happens on an individual level, but here on the nation state level with Bitcoin, Venezuela's President Maduro touts Trazor Bitcoin wallet on national television. On November 6th, President of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro, appeared on state-run television, Venezuelan Television Corporation, holding a crypto hardware storage device allegedly developed by major wallet supplier Trazor. The video is posted on the official Facebook page of President Maduro. Trazor is denying having any role in this and that these uh, there's two alleged executives from Trezor in this video. They said this is not it. But the point is, here's a nation state. This is the first we've seen jump up to the nation state level. Of course, President Xi recently said blockchain. They want to have a blockchain and a, their own altcoin for China. But here he's like holding up a Trezor wallet. And that is very significant to self-sovereignty. Peter Schiff is confusing Bitcoin with fiat money. He makes that equation. He doesn't understand that Bitcoin is... Gold 2.0, which kind of indicates he doesn't really understand gold either, which is uh, ironic. Uh, but here you have the Maduro who's holding up the Trezor wallet, and he's saying, look, this is sovereignty. This is individual sovereignty. We can put a billion, 10 billion, 50 billion dollars worth of a store of value currency, Bitcoin. It's gold 2.0, and there won't be any censorship. The Bank of England won't deprive us of trading with the rest of the world. They won't deprive us of our human rights, uh, even though they'd want to. And that's where we're heading with 
Bitcoin is heading toward a, a world that is more in keeping with the spirit of humanity to trade. It's peaceful. Remember, Trump is a man of peace. That's why the deep state hates him. You believe that? I perhaps don't believe it as much, but some people will have opposite opinions of that. It doesn't matter. Of course, a lot of people will say Maduro is bad. This is bad news for uh, Bitcoin. They said that when President Xi said, uh, you know, into blockchain, and this is bad for Bitcoin. But the fact is, the same thing happened early on in the very, very early stages of Bitcoin. Satoshi Nakamoto himself said it was horrible that WikiLeaks was receiving Bitcoin. Don't let him get involved. We, we don't want to be crushed before we even uh, flourish. And because it's always those edge cases, of course, it's the outlaws, it's those being denied and censored that are sometimes horrible, um, maybe not you know, maybe a lot of people don't like them. Maybe uh, as we see in the U.S. media here, a lot of people don't like Julian Assange. A lot of journalists don't support him, even though he's being like locked up in a cage. But here again, like the fact is that it's censorship resistance. You censor them. We, we did say this years ago when the U.S. first weaponized SWIFT that they would start uh, that censorship and that people, nation states would move around it. In this case, he's suggesting Bitcoin. Satoshi Nakamoto had nothing to worry about in terms of Bitcoin in the early days, because Bitcoin is an idea that it's an invention, and once invented, it cannot be uninvented, like gunpowder before it that changed the geopolitics profoundly. You cannot uninvent gunpowder. You cannot uninvent Bitcoin. And those nations that embrace it are going to be moving the humanity ball forward. Those nations that are resistant to it are going to be left in the backwater. Talk about left in the backwater. Max and I, we lived in Europe, and we saw uh, then we moved here recently in the last few years, and we saw the backwater that is the financial system here. Here's the head, you know, the center, the power behind the global financial system, and their payment system here is so antiquated. I hadn't, I had gone 20 years without writing one single check. I write checks day after day after day here. Uh, it takes days and days for a payment to transfer from one entity to the other. Uh, well, Bitcoin is because of Bitcoin, because of Satoshi Nakamoto, finally the U.S. is actually going to do what most other nations in the world already have, and that's instant payments. FTC commissioner cites Libra in support of Fed's real-time payment system. So, of course, Libra is Facebook suggested or proposed cryptocurrency, which is inspired by, of course, Bitcoin. The Libra cryptocurrency project should be sufficient motivation for the Federal Reserve to launch a real-time payment system, a senior government official wrote on Thursday. Federal Trade Commission Commissioner Rohit Chopra wrote a letter to the Fed, the U.S. Central Bank, supporting the potential development of the Fed Now service, the potential high-speed payment system the group is now examining. About Libra, he said, the vague and scant details on the text platform proposed shadow global central bank have sounded international alarm bells, particularly in light of Facebook's ongoing scandals and reputation for abuse, regardless of Libra's ultimate fate. The proposal's emergence underscores the appetite for real-time payments and the urgency of intervention by the Federal Reserve. The Fed was thwarting trade. The, the Fed was putting unnecessary layers of intermediation. And the human spirit goes against that and will fight that. It's been doing that for 100,000 or 200,000 years. And Bitcoin now forces these other players to either innovate or be worked around. 
or to be made obsolete. So the Fed, facing obsolescence with Bitcoin, has decided to fight the rear guard action and try to create something similar to Bitcoin to stay relevant. They, of course, will fail because it's centralized and Bitcoin is decentralized. And they will never give up the idea of settling trades using the dollar as a means of settlement. And Bitcoin is self-settling. It's auto-settling. It settles with every transaction. It's a complete new paradigm shift into a complete new world that satisfies our DNA. Our DNA is a blockchain. It's a biological blockchain. Bitcoin is a cryptic blockchain, and it fulfills our need to trade. It fulfills or satisfies our need to be human, to communicate, to travel. Get in its way, and you will be relegated to the dustbin of history. That's the facts. That's the way it is. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, much more coming your way. Welcome back to the Kaiser Report. I'm Max Kaiser. Time now to turn to Dr. Michael Hudson, writer of many books from super imperialism all the way to the latest, Forgive Them Their Debts, an instant classic, I might add. Welcome back. Thanks. For having me, Max. Yeah, I mean, you're an economist, but I, you know, you're also an historian, which I love is that you can really put things on a timeline, the economics as we've looked at it over history, over hundreds of years, and then how it changes and morphs. And it really gives a fantastic perspective on things. And I wanted to uh, pick your brain on something. In the last episode, Professor Steve Keen says that the U.S. national debt increasing from $22 trillion in February to $23 trillion today is not a problem. Do you agree? Yes, because the U.S. has no intention of uh, actually paying the debt. Uh, it may be a problem for other countries that are holding the debt, uh, but the United States can simply print the money to uh, pay the debt. And uh, unlike uh, Argentina or Greece, uh, who have to actually borrow money because they can't print their own money, the United States, if uh, uh, somebody turns in a $100 bond, can just give them a print a $100 bill. So what Steve means is the government can just create the money uh, to pay it off, just like it's uh, created the $4.6 to uh, pump into the stock and bond market since Obama's uh, bailout. Uh, uh, the government uh, really doesn't have uh, that much of a debt problem. That's moni modern monetary theory. Should money have any intrinsic value? No, it never did have any intrinsic value. And even the value of gold uh, and silver back in the third millennium BC uh, was all set by the government. Uh, it, and uh, the, the governments, by setting uh, a price ratio, uh, decide what the price uh, uh, of gold will be. Uh, in any case, the reason gold has a value is really for the balance of payments, not for domestic uh, spending at all. But when countries run a deficit with each other, how are you going to settle it? And until uh, 1971, when America went off gold, the idea was that a country running a deficit would have to pay with something real, uh, like gold. But then the United States said, wait a minute, we've been running an uh, uh, entirely military budget deficit through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, we don't want to pay in gold. We want other people to pay us in gold, uh, but we're not going to pay in gold. Uh, we're just going to pay them in government IOUs and uh, throw them into the world uh, economy, and uh, they'll all end up with central banks that'll all recycle it, and it's just uh, just uh, a recycling exercise. And of course, the, uh, the government setting the value of gold is by weight. And of course, that weight travels universally around the world and can totally bypass any fiat or government's application of a value to it because it's got that weight. And weight is universally accepted as having substance. But the thing about it, 
when you have all this debt being created, historically, every once in a while, there is a debt jubilee. That seems to square the circle, if you will. And we haven't had one of those, really, and significantly for years. We had an opportunity for one in 2008, but instead of bailing out those debtors, the Obama administration decided to bail out the creditors. Has that ever happened like that in history? I'm sure it has. When it has happened like that, and wasn't that a colossal mistake? It certainly was a colossal mistake because many of the uh, uh, bad loans were fraudulent real estate loans. They were loans far in excess of the uh, borrower's ability to repay the loan and in excess of the value of the property. So the banks who made these fraudulent bad loans should have had to absorb the loss. And uh, Sheila Baer, who was the head of the uh, FDIC, said uh, uh, the worst offender was Citibank. She said it was crookedly run, uh, it was incompetently run, and uh, she said here we had a chance uh, to take it over, wipe out the, the bad stockholders, uh, and she was stopped by uh, when Obama said, I'm letting uh, uh, Tim Geithner uh, tell me what to do because he represents my donor class and uh, the people who are funding me, and Geithner worked for uh, Rubin, who had taken over uh, a Citibank, and uh, Geithner himself had a relation. Were you surprised Citibank. when the Justice uh, Department of Justice recently declared Jamie Dimon guilty of racketeering for price-fixing and manipulation in the gold market. That's exactly what uh, Chase was doing. <laughs> I hate to say that about the bank that I used to work for, but uh, and they wouldn't have done it uh, 60 years ago when I was there. Do but, they do uh, it, aside from the gold market, aren't they behaving in the same predatory cartel behavior in mar all markets, futures markets, yes. capital markets, bond futures, stocks, currencies, it's across the board, That's systemic. Yes, the large banks in the United States have done that, just like they fixed uh, the LIBOR, uh, London Interbank Borrowing Rate, that set everybody's interest rates. That was all, all fixed. Now, Mark it's Carney, if the Bank of England was implicated in that, and, the, and in the UK, they said, well, because this is systemically important, we're not going to prosecute. Mark Carney, he well, got what off. they say is rich people are systemically important. You can only uh, prosecute non-rich people. Uh, but uh, any rich person is systemically important because they're the campaign contributors. They're the people who run the parties. Uh, so, of course, they're systemically important. They're the oligarchy. Let's talk about some of the internal machinations of these markets. Uh, because unlike a lot of economists, you've actually worked at a bank. You mentioned Chase. There's been a lot of activity in what's called the repo market, the overnight lending rate, which is kind of the bank-to-bank -bank lending rate, and it's deep down in the bowels of the financial system. It seems to be flashing distress. Uh, the rates are high because there's a lot of trust that's absent now. And, and we've seen this in 2008 crisis. We've seen it in previous crises. Is there a crisis going on? What's going on in this repo market? What does it tell us, if anything? The crisis is really a huge amount of debt pyramiding, of leveraging. And people have tried to uh, make huge bets on derivatives and on uh, stocks and bonds uh, with very little of their own money. So all you need is for one bank to make a mistake uh, or somebody to embezzle, uh, like happens about every 10 years. If the Fed and comes in and says something. we're going to put 120, 130, 140 billion into this overnight market, isn't that the same thing as quantitative easing, except on the short end? Yes. And, uh, okay. Yes, it's the same thing. It's, it's creating money simply on, on a balance by paper. You create a, a debt, and a debt is, on one side is an asset 
somebody else's asset on the other side. And when you get all these assets and debts mounting up, somebody can't pay at a point because they've made a wrong bet and uh, there's a sudden drop in a, a bond or a drop in a uh, uh, the price of gold or a drop in a share price and, oh, they've lost a lot of money. So it's another bailout. It's like the London whale. Uh, from Chase Bank when uh, uh, the whale made a big bet that was, quote, unauthorized. And uh, uh, that's an example of something that could have triggered a meltdown. So it's another bailout. Yes. And it's quantitative easing four, QE4. It, it's a, per let's call it a permanent bailout. Okay, if it's a permanent bailout and we were told that QE was temporary, if it's not temporary, the actual economic term for that would be debt monetization. It is temporary, it's 50 years. <laughs> Uh, what temporary means uh, we're not we're not putting an end point on it. But Tem it's not temporary. It's debt monetization, it, it's which is exactly what freaking banana republics do. That we criticize them for printing and then buying back their own paper. It's exactly what we're doing in America. Correct? Am I wrong? When America does it, it's not a crime. To paraphrase President Nixon. All right, fair enough. So uh, you're about to head to China. Uh, what are you doing there? Oh, uh, basically discussing uh, uh, the real estate uh, uh, question. I think that what I'd like China to do... What is the real estate question? Well, there's a lot of uh, people who have been borrowing uh, to bid up the price of houses, and they've been borrowing from, like, payday lenders. Uh, the big banks in China will make uh, loans to uh, small uh, uh, payday lenders or lending organizations, and they've advanced money because every people in China think property prices will go up. How do you stop the property prices from going up. Simple way, and it's the way that Hong Kong originally did things, you, ta you make a tax on the land value. And if you tax away any of the increase in uh, the land value, which is really what, the, what is creating the uh, price of the property, then you're going to stabilize prices. Uh, well, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, my understanding when it was created, would be the lender of last resort and to be proactive in helping to keep the economy from going through these booms and busts by adjusting monetary policy. But Greenspan said, that actually they don't do that anymore. They wait for the crisis, then they react, and their reaction is always to make more money easily available. So that seems like a repudiation of any idea of a central bank whatsoever. Seems like all they do is put money into the pockets of these oligarchs you're talking about. But let me just move on about China for a second. There's a trade war Trump talks about constantly. So the question is, is, uh, gonna be, is there gonna be a trade war? Uh, do we care if there's a trade war? The latest breakthrough is real. Who's winning this trade war? Uh, is it the right thing for Trump to do? Is this going to make America great again? What, tell us about this trade war that's going on. Is it happening? Who's winning? What's happening? Well, as you can tell from the stock market going up and down every day and gyrating, uh, people are trying to guess uh, what's going to happen from the trade war. Uh, what has happened already is once you start a war, the world can never be the same uh, again in the sense of people expecting there can never be a war. So China's already realized, like other countries have, they have to decouple from the U.S. economy. They don't ever want the U.S. to say, we're going to use an asymmetrical warfare against you. We're going to all of a sudden uh, not give you access to our technology. We're going not to let you uh, plug into our banking system. Is that system. the same thing as deglobalization? Yes. Is it de-dollarization? Yes, it's de-dollarization and deglobalization. Is China, therefore, is that why they're buying so much gold? 
they're buying gold because they have a lot of uh, in, uh, balance to payment surplus. They don't want to buy U.S. Treasury bonds right. and have the U.S. Treasury say, okay, we're not going to pay you any of the money that we owe you. Uh, is, is it a sign that they're buying so much gold, hundreds of tons now? What else are they going to buy? They're not going to buy euros because the euro is probably going down to uh, one euro per dollar. Uh, they're not going to buy uh, they, uh, any more of the uh, Russian currency, which they do to, trans, uh, to, to finance their own trade. Okay. So gold is something that, like over the last 2,000 years, if you get something that the whole world can agree upon, what do you use? Uh, nobody's agreed on anything except gold. So you already have these thousands of years of backing. I mean, a Asia used to like silver, and at a certain point, I can imagine uh, China buying silver. Right. Uh, they were on a silver standard for a while, weren't they? That's right. They are also marrying this idea of gold with uh, blockchain, okay? And they uh, state that their blockchain interests are there to skirt U.S. dollar-based settlement system, number one, to avoid U.S. censorship in SWIFT and other areas, number two. They have identified blockchain as a way to do an end run around U.S. dollar hegemony, around everything clearing through the New York Fed. So I don't know how much work you've done on blockchain, but our, I understand, I, I think you would agree that their intention is worthwhile because they need to escape from being under the yoke of that U.S. imperial system. You wrote super imperialism. But have you looked at blockchain? Is it a good avenue for them to succeed in their endeavor? If they're pursuing it, obviously they think that it's a good avenue. And uh, uh, anything that they can do to prevent the U.S. ability to sabotage the system. It's really a protection against U.S. sabotage. And the U.S., uh, like it's been sabotaging the Iranian system, China looks at what America's doing to Iran, and no country has ever interfered like the United States is doing uh, uh, with Iran. And uh, uh, what Trump is doing to Iran is sending up red flags over the whole world, saying, uh, you've got... Uh, we're going to be next. Uh, the United States is going to smash us if we don't uh, agree with them. And so Trump is just driving Quick all question. the other countries. The SCO, away. Shanghai Cooperation Organization. If yes. China goes down this path, do they bring Russia and Iran with them? Yes. And is that enough of a, a new balancing of global economy to shift the axis of, of currency power out of the U.S.? Uh, it won't be shift. It'll leave the United States with its uh, satellites uh, in Europe and Latin America, but China uh, will be uh, uh, its own. Asia will have its own block. Dr. Michael Hudson, thanks for being on the Kaiser Report. It's good to be here, Max. All right, and that's going to do it for this edition of the Kaiser Report with me, Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert. We want to thank our guest, Dr. Michael Hudson. If you want to catch us on Twitter, it's Kaiser Report. Until next time, bye, y'all.